They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. From a new location, they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. I'm here today with a very, very special guest for a very special episode, the one and only Carl Bezier. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Carl? <laughs> it's Bear. Bear. <laughs> how long have you known me and you still can't get it right? I know, I know. Mr. Bayer. Um, the J is silent. Um, he is if you're the, gonna if you're gonna cover uh, Nordic issues, you've got to start getting that right. I know. That's common, I commonly spelling. mispronounce things over there, um, but they I'm seem sure. to be okay with it. Um, he is the yeah. uh, uh, publisher and and sole contributor to contributor to CarlBazier dot com. That's C A R L B E I J E R dot com. Great Substack. I've been subscribed for I don't know a year and a half, whatever. Um, and also on Twitter at Carl Bezier, I believe. Um, yep. And I brought him on to talk about the man of the hour, Sean McElwee. Sean McElwee. So yeah. how about we just start from the bottom? Who is Sean McElwee? What is his history? Why are we all talking about him? Where Where does the story begin? You are one of the, the most uh, uh, intense chroniclers of the Sean McElwee experience. <laughs> Um, the man, <laughs> yeah, I won't jump the boat too much, but the man who figured, who, who set up the Sean McElwee cabinet appointment tracker, I mean, you were, you've been on this beat longer than anyone. So if, if anyone's going to be able to yeah. tell the story, it's going to be you. So start us from the beginning. Who is this guy and what, 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 why do we care about him? So he's a, you know, we, we don't know that much about his, uh, sort of deep past his background though. We have like some interesting tidbits. Um, he went to King's College um, hilariously at the same time as Dinesh D'Souza was president there. Oh, um, there Dinesh was, was the president yeah. of the university itself? Yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> That's really hard to believe. Very, very, very briefly, there's like a two-year uh, overlap, it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think it was around then that he sort of retired in scandal for very similar reasons to what Sean is facing now. Um, but yeah, so he was there. Uh, he very quickly out of college actually ended up at uh, reason, um, reason magazine, the, the libertarian yeah. magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, I, you know, I looked around for stuff like him, by him, and the one thing I could find was he evidently contributed to some of their coverage of Occupy, mm. and it, it's actually kind of reminiscent to sort of the libertarian attitude towards, like, left 
the radical left right now, because on one hand, you know, they, they're sort of like presenting themselves as sympathetic, but there's a very like, well, this is crony capitalism, not capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. That was that period. I actually did read a piece that he wrote. I think it was that reason. It might've been another one. Um, I think he might've been a co-author on it. It's been a Mm -hmm. long time, but I remember the subject and the subject was that, you know, at the time people were trying to ban plastic bags, you know, like single use plastic bags at grocery stores. And there was a piece uh, that was arguing that that would actually be worse for the environment. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like their stick. They, they love their unintended consequences yeah those those crazy yeah. tree huggers they just don't even know <laughs> and um so th- this one was all like um you know it had that sort of anti-establishment vague anti-establishment angle to the video but there was also you could tell like a lot of sort of chuckling and condescension at the inevitable weirdos who show up at uh you know occupy these things um and that that's really all we know about uh sean's libertarian past except for some very recent comments he made which i guess we'll get to eventually um but after that he was on twitter kind of in the um the pre-Bernie era when not many folks were on there, Mm -hmm. um, at least not many of the active socialists. And he was really like kind of a uh, epic Obama guy, like very sort of rah-rah and love the mic drop moment and all that. He Mm -hmm. was one of those. Yeah, Yeah, I forgot (laughs) the mic drop where he he puts his fingers to his mouth, does a little kiss and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he tweeted that meme out like a hundred times. Oh, yeah. Like, he loved that stuff. And evidently, like, he's talked about this in interviews afterwards. Like, evidently after that, he, I mean, during this time, he's spending a lot of time in reporters' DMs, like DMing Iglesias and uh, people like that, and just sort of hassling them for attention. Um and you know he he I, I think between that and then he evidently ended up doing a couple things for Demos. Um, yeah, he worked he, at Demos uh, formally as a research assistant to a guy there. Now I'm forgetting his name. He was there when I was there, though I was there on a contractor basis. Um, but he didn't write, he wasn't really like writing too much at Demos, but he was supposed to be a research assistant. And then he started writing outside of Demos, but as someone who's at Demos, you know what I mean? So it'd be like, yeah. he'd publish something in Slate and it would be like, you know, such and such as a whatever at Demos, you know. Um, I thought I remembered him doing some kind of like really flimsy like demographic analysis stuff at demos yeah that was near the end of his demos because he got uh canned from demos around right after you know hillary lost and he was at that point you know doing those pieces that were just saying um trump won because of racism and they would just use these like 
goofy regressions yeah. from the American National Economic Survey based on, you know, like just the dumbest shit, you know, yeah. like implicit association. Oh, it was all and that. Stuff. And like um, Zach Bochamp was doing that constantly yeah. then. And the like racism and, feeling thermometers and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it, okay. So he was he he was one of those guys after the but we're we're well no, we aren't was he a Hillary guy or was he a Bernie guy during twenty sixteen at first? I mean, publicly he wasn't writing too much anything, Bernie or yeah. or whatever, you know. He was as far as I remember, he was just he was working at Demos as a research assistant. It was really after that, yeah. um that he Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was a Bernie I, guy I at Demos. No, I didn't know anyone else yeah. who was. <laughs> yeah, I have no memory of his, like, come to think of it, his sort of 26 uh, takes. Like, I don't remember him as a Bernie bro at all. Yeah, no, um, people people kind of reverse, you know, they kind of read that back into the history. But he was just working at this liberal nonprofit where it was not... Uh, was not good to be out there for Bernie, <laughs> you know, like that was yeah. uh, not what they were really trying to do. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, and then only after they let him go, uh, then, you know, a little time passed and boom, out the he gates, had, data for progress, hardcore, abolish ice, well, uh, you know. He, yeah. Well, I mean, he was, he was flailing for a bit at first, I think like he had a, he had a period between data for progress, and um demos after he got let go from demos and this is sort of the first trump year maybe um where you would yeah you would see him like just sort of writing the off article like this sort of you know the stuff you mentioned about slate and in slate or salon yeah, or politico it's occasionally yeah. kind of the lower level things where you can pitch in and they will occasionally yeah. accept it even if you're not a big name per se yeah and he was he was doing that and i think it was around that time that he started like just he, he was really focused on his twitter presence at that point more than anything i think yeah he really he really started getting into like the epic socialist gritty memes and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think like he had some reference to the means of production in his bio at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember him giving an interview at one point where he was very like, kind of like Twitter, you know, people want to reject partially he's like, I'm a Twitter social media millennial guru kind of thing, but also partially like, look, yeah. journalists spend all day on this app. And so like the stuff I do on here, like it really does matter. And I thought that was like halfway <laughs> true perhaps, but like that was, yeah. it was very invested in like, look how I do on Twitter. And I, I, oh, yeah. I joke, I always kind of found that slightly funny only because his follower count never was very, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He was never some kind of megastar. Oh, like, I had he, more followers than he had. I think I might still. He's he's one of like he's basically you know like these sort of Zoomer accounts who come out of nowhere mm -hmm. and within like a month they suddenly have like six like six figure follower counts. Yeah, and it's just because they know how to play the game. Yeah, he like, has he has eighty nine thousand followers. I have one hundred and eighty nine thousand followers. Good grief! I didn't realize it was that low. And the, organi the organization count has only seventy seven thousand followers. 
this is crazy because he like he's I, I think you've heard this interview too. He has given interviews where he talks about like in his deck where he's trying to get money, like he will talk about Twitter followers and their like amazing Twitter presence. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff like yeah, no, he promoted himself as a real big social media guru. And I, like I said, I was always just a little bit bemused by it because I'm like, I'm like more than doubling you. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm like, and I'm not even trying like to be like aggressive Twitter. Like, let me yeah. try to use every like, what's the hashtag? What's the meme of the day? I've, I've been doing that. Yeah. No, if anything, if anything, you're like me, where you'll just sort of periodically just tweet stuff out that you know is going to like alienate and rile a lot of people up. Like you're doing the opposite of that. Right. Like his his Twitter presence is very, um, in so far as it exists, it's very sort of audience friendly. But yeah, like back back then, he, I, I think even the more interesting thing here was that he really was pitching himself like as this kind of communist. I mean, yeah, he's, he's doing like guillotine jokes. And That's stuff right. Like yeah. That. Yeah. He went, he went real far into it. <laughs> it was, it was remember his I, third I, worldism. I, now I'm just remembering this. Remember his third worldist uh, thing in like what? Politico. No, no, no. What was this? It was like, I'm, uh, they were asking questions about, it was one of the things I think I participated in as well, where they would have like six writers write like two or three paragraphs or something like that. And the one yeah. thing he 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 wrote, it was literally what a ma like a Maoist, you know, like <laughs> kind of. And it was so it was so weird and amusing. Um, you, it had to be, you, I talked to you about funny. it at the time, but it was a long, it was a yeah. while ago. It might have been. Yeah, it might have been around that uh, period of time, like sort of what we call the anime Maoists. Like, mm -hmm. there are a lot of these people who, I mean, you know, they're basically radlids. They usually have anime avatars, and they would just take these sort of hyper-radical positions all the time. But then suddenly, you know, when elections came around, it was time to defeat fascism again and rally around the Dems and all that. Um, oh, here's that um. Here it is, actually. I found it because I did participate okay. this one. It was like, what would a socialist America look like? And I thought, uh, well, I want to see now, actually, what did I write? You know, because they only give you like 300 words. Um, yeah. I probably just did the usual. Oh, yeah. Public ownership of capital and stuff like that. Social wealth fund. <laughs> you know, my usual shtick. Um, yeah. He goes, he goes through a few things here. And then at the end, you know, he says... The United States, as many democratic politicians like noting, is the wealthiest country in the world. That wealth is built on violence, tantamount to murder on a global scale. It is the wages of empire. A socialist politics wow. drives for a ride. <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> it was all in on that. I'm not even saying that's uh, false, but like, just to get a sense of how far out he went, you know. That's amazing. I mean, good for him <laughs> if that's if that was his take then. It certainly isn't how he talks now. No, no, like that was like the inflection point. Like the furthest left he got yeah. is he was like in the you know fucking PSL for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, oh man, that's really yeah. Like just just the notion. Like I really wish there was a good way to browse some of these very old tweets of his they're basically lost to history 
Um, but people do not remember just how over the top he got with that. And, but the thing is, I think it ended up being very important to him because his brand, when he launched data for progress, well, it was kind of like on one hand, it was kind of like, um, people's policy project part two, mm-hmm. like they, initially, they were, cause initially they were trying to do some policy stuff. You know, yeah, because data doesn't imply polling per se. That just is where it ended up. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, initially they tried to do some of that stuff. But like the other big thing was eventually where he ended up was his brand became that he was kind of this liaison between the radical left and Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so I guess we should take a step back. So he's out of Demos. He starts this new organization called Data for Progress. um, Yeah. And yeah, it's it has some policy stuff in it, though. The policy stuff, I would say, was was of a much more general variety. It was kind of like it was loose on specifics. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember them doing anything like certainly not anything particularly radical because I would have been looking out for that. No, I remember the um, one I remember reading through was like the they had a Green New Deal and we had like a few Green New Deal related papers. Oh, yeah. You wrote one, yeah, and the, and the Green New Deal, yeah. shit, you know, it'd be shit like uh, promote all renewables by twenty thirty or something like that. You know, and you're like, well, but how? Um, well, I mean, you know, one of the I think one of the signs that a lot of people were willing to overlook with Sean, but but this is just like, I mean, there are books about this. Like one of the classic signs of a crank is that they take credit for stuff that it like big stuff that they really, it's not theirs. And the green new deal thing is part of it because he, at one point in an interview, he was like, yeah, man, we, I came up with the green new deal. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Like he straight up took credit. And this is like an old, like, it was before Al Gore. Like, I think the earliest Green New Deal proposal, and we're not just talking about kind of the general idea, but like an actual proposal called a Green New Deal was like in Great Britain in the 80s or something like that. Like, it's a very old slogan. Right. And uh, even the recent and, incarnation of it was coming from a certain activist sect in the environmentalist yeah. movement. It was not. It was not burst out of the Sean McElwee's brain. <laughs> yeah. And and we'll come back to it, but it's it's pretty clear to me that he really doesn't have much sort of expertise on sort of what the live issues are there, like at all. No. Um, it's hard to, to develop that expertise. That's why I've had almost all of our Green New Deal papers ever has been written by other people. I only wrote one, which was the Green TVA yeah. one. Every other one, I would find someone else because that's a really technical area. You can't just, you know, it's trance very, in. Yeah, yeah. Like when I, I mean, when I wrote mine, I was talking to um, the, it, every, everyone from scientists to policy guys to uh, foreign diplomacy guys and stuff like that, just trying to figure out sort of the logistics of what can and can't be done. Um, it's, but you know, he would, and, and it's wild that he would weigh in on stuff like that and that he would like that Politico would even ask him what your vision of a socialist America is. Cause this is the guy who openly brags that he doesn't read. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, he, and, yeah. And he clearly has like sort of no, 
he has no activist background. Right. He has no um, he has no scholarly background in socialism. Uh, he has no like written record. Like he doesn't have a, a clip binder full of articles on socialism or anything like that. Yeah. He just has no it, or policy I, I, expertise in like any particular area. You know, like where you can be like, ah, oh, yeah, he's got some really he's he's gone deep on this. He's gone deep on the unemployment program and how that all works and shit. You know, like not yeah. nothing like that. I think like when I think of Sean McGowley and what he knows, it's like, okay, well, for one thing, he's a good networker. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's obvious. Um, but that's also kind of a dime a dozen in Washington. Like, so who cares? Um, I think he, I mean, he, he certainly knows more, more about data analysis than me, but less than you. Like, he, he's, he, you know, he I would be skeptical. I'm skeptical that he knows more than you because if you notice this, he, he always has other people. He's always co-authored with people who do know data. Yeah, you know what I mean, like people are like, oh, yeah. this guy has a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> so who's doing yeah. what in this in this thing? I, you know, Wait, remember, where did he learn? I, where did he learn to do it? I, you know, he could well, be self-taught. Like he was an econ. No, he wasn't an econ guy in college. That's what he went back for. Mm. Um, I don't remember because he went. He just started going back. Uh, I think to Columbia, maybe chasing some kind of econ thing. But I don't think that's what he got at King's College. I could be wrong. Um, in I any case, he probably he was a yeah, he I was a guy who was who was who would shake hands and throw parties and kind of. Just yeah. build himself up in the press. It's almost like a tabloid uh, type uh, creature that you would see yeah. in in entertainment. It seemed like that. That's what it looked like to me. And then, then, then the quotes he would give, yeah, like you said, you know, he really, he really started to lean heavily into the like, I don't do books. I don't really do any. You know, it's like I don't do any of the intellectual stuff. And it's like, well, you're the head of a think tank. What do you do? And it's just like. I just make it rain, you know. I'm just really good at getting donors on board. I'm really good at, you know, connecting with people. I mean, that was basically it, in which case it's just like, okay, so it's a lot of just kind of flim-flam. There's there's nothing here. Um He's the radio head of donors. He's a yeah, whatever. he's yeah, he's like radio head. You don't know why he's good, but he's good. That was the actual quote. I mean it's like it's very reflect <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like that's a great quote, but it's an it's a fucking really damning quote because it's like yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't really explain to you what substance I'm bringing, but for whatever reason, this <laughs> House of Cards continues to stand for the moment. <laughs> it's really. I mean, it it was nuts watching this ascent because I think that, like, on one hand, he was certainly more ambitious than a lot of people, but I always saw him as. I'm trying to think like who the comp comparable character in the media is these days. Maybe like a sort of Zade level pundit, Zade Jelani or something. <laughs> yeah. Like a guy who a guy who kind of weighs in on the stuff and has takes and maybe he'll get like a good scoop every once in a while. Like Zade has too. Um but like he's not sort of like where he's not like the go-to guy for quotes on socialism. Yeah, yeah. No, and, you you would never find. I I don't know of any 
no reporter would go to him to be like, oh, we've got a story about, like, I get this all the time. Uh, we're going to do a story about Biden's student debt plan. I would get a call from three or four different publications, like legit, asking me about it because they probably found something on the on the website where we were covering it. And I checked some math of Brookings and showed that it was incorrect. And so I was like, let's go talk to Matt. And, and it could be anything, right? Could, on the paid leave or child, like anything going on with the welfare state, some reporter, someone will call me and they want me to walk it through them and give them a quote. You would never see that. For anything, Sean, yeah. you would get sometimes just like horse race shit. Like you might call Sean yeah. and get like a horse race quote, in which case, I mean, okay, whatever. But like, that's what it is. And a lot of times it was very bad. Well, like, it turned out in this last election, the uh, the polling that Data for Progress did was, was way <laughs> off. Yeah. So he, it, so, okay. So he starts Data for Progress. He sort of begins uh, with this policy stuff and very quickly he sort of moves away. It was kind of mysterious at first what role he was playing, even in the polling, because a lot of it was just commissioned by YouGov. Um, yes. And, yeah. Yeah. This is a good point. There were two stages of data for progress yeah. polling. Yeah. It, at first it was like YouGov stuff. And I remember talking to you about this and, trying to figure out what the deal was because um, it didn't uh, like, I couldn't really figure out what they were contributing to it except for, you know, could you ask these questions, which I mean, to be fair, you know, like I, I, I would like, I think they asked, they asked some decent questions about socialism at one point. Like, do you consider yourself a socialist? That kind of stuff, which is stuff that I'm interested in and stuff that I'm glad that somebody out, out there ask YouGov to poll, but they're really kind of a just a middleman at that point to the funders. Yeah, right? what what was happening at that moment was YouGov had created what was I think a fairly new service. Um, I believe it was called YouGov Blue, and yeah. it was catered to institutions. And you could yeah. they they had online polls. The way YouGov works is they were they were making polling super cheap because they would do it all online. And then they would try to yeah. overcome the problem with sampling using yeah. uh, something called, uh, oh shit, what's it called? MRP, multi, is it multivariate regression and post process? Uh, it was, it's a long uh, phrase, but uh, they would use yeah. b basically uh, regressions and weighting and stuff like that to match it to the population to over, you know, they would try to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and yeah. they were and they were going to different organizations and they would basically say, I I did this once because I wanted to see how this worked. You have to pay yeah. twenty five hundred dollars like to get in the door to get on our poll to put to add a question to it because we're running these polls every day or whatever. So we have basically a limited slot of questions, and to yeah. get one yeah. of your questions in, you got to pay twenty five hundred to get in the door and then twenty five hundred for each question. So if you wanted to ask one question, that would be 5000 If you wanted to ask two, that would be 7500 And then they would try to do some other wraparound services, like we can give you the raw data, we can do this and that and whatever. And as a kind of yeah. first-time special, they would let you do it for just, they would waive the one-off fee. So you could just do 25 or So I did one question for 2500 at PPP. <laughs> um, I think I remember that. Yeah, and like, you know, that's very inexpensive. Prior to that, to get a poll done would cost in the $20,000 range. So in a way, yeah, there was, there was a, a good recognition there of like, oh, 
Like this shit's a lot cheaper now. What if I just commission this stuff? People yeah. will pay this. I could get someone to donate that amount of money. Then I present it as a data for progress slash YouGov poll. Go out yeah. to media outlets. And now they have a story about Medicare for all is this popular or blah, blah, blah is this popular. So I just kind of go through the progressive agenda item, get the yeah. polls, rewrap them, put them in a little report, get a reporter to write it up because reporters love to write like, Poll finds, poll finds, poll finds. At least for yeah. a period they did. Now I don't think they're really that interested in that stuff no, anymore. But no, that's, that's ever. That's what he was doing. Um, but you're right. There was no value add. It really seemed yeah. like it was a kind of coordination process to get the money in so that you could buy the poll and then to wrap it into yeah. a PDF and then to then the comms element of getting it out to a reporter and off you go. You know. I think there were. I mean, there were like a couple. Like, is John Green still with them? I don't know if he's still with them. I, cause you know, he was, I, I think he was a pretty like sort of legit, um, stats guy. Oh yeah. They, and, had, they, they brought on some legit people. Certainly it's at various points. And, and from like, he, he was there from the outset. Like, I think he was really one of the co-founders and I think that he was probably doing some, it, it, he was doing some statistical analysis, um, beyond that you got stuff but that was definitely what was getting them like press was the you stuff yeah that's how they got on the map and then and then they could also yeah. pull like low-level races and all this kind of stuff later on they went into so that was when i feel like they kind of had a little bit of progressive juice because they would just run poll after poll after poll finding that the public loves everything the progressives want yeah. to do you know yeah yeah and I think, like, sort of, it was around that time that they really started to go south because, okay, so for one thing, it was it, that I think it actually started to really get ridiculous with the abolish ID stuff. Mm -hmm. That was, um, it, so, you know, you had this, you had Sean out there um, tweeting abolish ICE all the time. And, then he would like, sometimes he would say, Oh no, this isn't really like, this isn't my thing. I didn't invent this and stuff like that sort of bashfully. But other times he would, he would, he just straight up took credit for it. Uh, the whole like abolish ICE movement. And he would be like, the, the other thing that was very obvious was he just kept getting all of this media coverage where they would frame him as sort of the leader of this movement every single time. And I'm reading this, I'm thinking, look, you don't get coverage that frames you in this way over and over, unless you know how they're going to talk about you. Mm -hmm. And, and he's not making any efforts to correct that half the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so, and you eventually had like, a couple of articles come out where sort of activists from like, was it make the road and stuff like that? Like long time immigration activists on the ground, basically saying who, who's this random white guy who says he's our leader now. Mm -hmm. And like, where did he come from? Um, and that was, I, and I think that was kind of a very telling moment of how disconnected Sean has really always been from this activist community that he sort of claims to speak for because 
all of these people, like he eventually got in the habit of sort of crediting them and giving them nods and stuff like that. But there was a lot of resentment out there. Um, and not just among those groups, but then it started seeping online. Um, they, people just started thinking it was really ridiculous the way that they were pretending like this hashtag was starting some kind of revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, he started like, you know, you started seeing uh, tweets with him appearing with like Kristen Gillibrand and then mm-hmm. She backs off from the abolish ICE. Yeah, <laughs> he got he actually did get her sucked into it briefly. That was probably his big get was in terms of like someone who actually, you know, and that was probably misjudgment on her end. They were on board, <laughs> and then it got politically toxic. And not only did they run away, Sean ran away, like oh, yeah, a- yeah. along with it. He just dropped it immediately. Yeah, and. That has like that has been the punchline for him ever since then. Like ever since then, just about any tweet he puts out there, somebody just asking him, "Hey, how's abolish ICE going?" Because it's just so obvious that he used that movement to bring attention to himself and had no real commitment to it. Yeah. Making it happen. Cause that was the Trump, uh, 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 border stuff where the child separations and all that kind of stuff. So he was seizing on yeah. that moment and let me find yeah. some way to like make, make hay out of yeah. it. So let's abolish immigration and customs enforcement, a kind of nebulous yeah. and confusing proposal. Um, a non proposal really like what, what does this even mean? Are you saying open borders? Are you saying there'll be no custom? Like people can just bring anything they want into the country or what? Well, certainly not from him. Like he wasn't, I I never heard him sort of lay out coherent, a coherent policy agenda. If you look at sort of the activist side of it, then they would have specific proposals, but wasn't coming from him. Right. And it wasn't coming from the Democrats who just wanted to use a slogan um, because it was popular. And yeah, and, and Kirsten was trying to run for president. She was trying to get her name out there. She never really had any any juice there, yeah. so maybe this would help her. Okay, so we get all this. He, he kind of comes to some prominence with the abolish ice uh, by yeah. presenting himself as kind of a Twitter guru despite low-following account. Um, yeah. And, and I think gets this organization, does these polls, it tells everyone, hey, progressive issues are popular. And then yeah. maybe we can fast forward to uh, 2020, because that's when the, the action, that's when things start moving, I feel like. Because up to that point, yeah. we get, oh, lefty, you know, Sean McGowie is one of the people on the socialist vanguard, put, you know, radical left in the politics and all this kind of stuff. And then 2020. Yeah. Uh, so what, what happens in yeah. 2020? Does he... Does he come out for the apparent socialist candidate or does he not? (laughs) Well, I mean, his very first thing was in these times, and it was very, very early. I think it was maybe before Beta, no, maybe after Beto declared. It was certainly before Bernie declared. Um, But his take, like immediate take, was uh, don't rally behind Bernie yet. And it was, you know, and he made this hilarious, like, I love it. I love in interviews when Sean talks about strategy Mm -hmm. and he sounds like, 
one of these, I mean, he almost sounds like one of these nanosphere guys talking about Machiavelli or something like that. Cause he's, he's just like politics is a chess game and you have to, you have to move your pawn carefully and <laughs> stuff like, yeah. like just things just vague shit like that. Um, and that's it. He had some kind of chess quote <laughs> in this article, but his whole thing was, if we don't endorse Bernie immediately, then we'll have leverage over him and all, over all the other candidates to make them better. Yeah, okay. but, yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, but, you know, like, he also, um, very, very shortly after that, they're interviewing him in another sort of Sean McKelvey happy hour article. And, it, it, God, there's so many of them. I should just sit down and count how many of those there were. It's just absurd um but in another another one of those articles he says uh, you know i could live with biden or i could live with beto if i have to and the author there even notes he's like a lot of progressives won't be happy about uh, mm-hmm. him saying that yeah um and i think that that's around the time that it sort of really got into Sean. Well, actually it's probably a little before I think that sort of him getting integrated into tides had something to do with this too, because it, it was around 2019 that we found out that he was, um, a tides donor. Yeah. The tides foundation, uh, tides advocacy, I guess in this case, uh, is a, is a sorrow is the Soros uh, vehicle. And he, at a certain yeah. point, the website, uh, clips on, uh, a little thing in the footer that says Project of Tides Advocacy. And it was a little unclear what that meant, but it seems, as best we can yeah. tell, that Data for Progress w- was not a separate entity at this point. It just became yeah. part, literally part of Tides. Yeah, and that's not, something... Yeah, not funded by... I, I mean, think... maybe funded as well, but not... But, like, it just... Like, as a matter of corporate yeah. law, it was a... Division of tides, basically. The yeah, that and this is something nobody like. Certainly, nobody talked about this. Maybe some people will say they understood it in retrospect, but at the time, everybody just sort of talked about this. Oh, he's getting tides funding, Mm -hmm. but nobody really got that the relationship was so formal that you know tides had uh, evidently had the authority to like hire and fire people and stuff like that. Um, and you know, this is, it's not just Soros. This is, I think probably the largest dark money front, um, on the Democrat side, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a Soros org, but obviously other money comes in, not just his money. And I mean, we're talking like the Musk foundation has donated to it. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is a bunch of billionaires who've put money into it. So it's, it, you know, as soon as he comes under the formal control of tides like that, then suddenly that's in the back of his mind with every decision that he makes. And tides sort of is thinking about their donors too. They do have to think about guys like Elon. Um, and so it me. That would have been, I think, a much bigger deal if people really understood the nature of that arrangement at the time. Um, but 
anyway, I think that that may have sort of had to do with his pivot. Uh, the other thing was, I think that he sort of calculated that Bernie was not going to make it in 2020 and that he would be better at that. And I think he sort of understood that the Sanders team wasn't really too sweet on him um, and that he, they weren't going to be his road to power. Yeah. <laughs> and that was my sense of it um, yeah. was hey, it, if you, if your Bernie was not in the Bernie circle in general, not impressed, <laughs> not yeah. impressed, not interested. And so you got to go elsewhere. Yeah. And, and then the other thing is not to jump the shark on this, but he does end yeah. up becoming a Warren guy. And the other thing is Warren yeah. does have a handful of like really rich donors. Um, yeah. And yeah. the thought process is that this becomes like, I can get some of those donors to help with the organization and stuff. Bernie, yeah. Jumping on the Bernie train literally gets you nothing. I mean, I, I yeah. know this from firsthand. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, like, you can work with them. And, you know, if they're happy with you and, like, you know, you get it, like, I was able to help with policy and stuff and, like, write some of the policy. Yeah. And that was great. There's no residual, like, well, here's one of our rich donors and they can help with your organization. Because he's got, he's literally got zero of those. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's a zero use at to or your own organization building but yeah. a warren and her rich donors you can maybe bring them in and get you know a hundred thousand dollar donation or something like that yep yeah and but but it is worth remarking that warner was not or warren was not his first tick because he began he began as kind of a, a gillibrand guy and then he sort of began flirting with Beto and Biden even. Um, and it was only then that he pivoted towards Warren. And I think it, it, was, it, it was around then that I think he really sort of had solidified by then sort of his nexus of influence in sort of NGO world and media world. All right. Because, because, Around then, you know, he had made um, he he would he would do this thing for a very long time, and I know this because I had talked to some people. Um, he had offered this to he would go around to sort of well-known reporters on the left, and he would offer them these like fellowships and with data for progress, and they didn't pay anything. Like this one yeah. person. I a lot of think tanks do that. I should just note here. This is a big yeah. think tank game for a lot of people because it allows you to yeah. fill out your website and it looks like you have 30, 40 people in your org when you really don't have any. And you don't have to yeah. pay them and they get something because they look like they're associated with you and that might help them with like media hits and stuff like that. So it's it's all a big yeah. game to make everyone involved yeah. look like they're doing things they aren't doing in order to get external benefits in terms of attention and press and whatever. Yeah, it was very funny um, because, like, one person I talked to asked Sean, uh, uh, well, what would I do? And he was just straight up like, I don't know. I don't care. Just, uh, you know, whatever you want and, you know, 
<laughs> and so he really, like, he was really, it, it was an influence thing where he was going around and he was trying to sort of sweep up, get all these journalists sort of in his circle and sort of establish these reciprocal relationships with them. Right. Um, and, you know, like, I think there probably would have been like some implicit expectation that they, you know, do some promoting of data for progress and of Sean McKelly's stuff and all that and probably vice versa. Yeah. And then, and, and just rubbing shoulders plays out that way, even if you don't agree to it. Right. Cause, oh yeah, we're yeah. friends now, whatever. Okay. So, so he's got all that going. He, he comes out for Warren. Uh, that lasts for quite a while until she flames out. For about one week, he's for Bernie, but then Bernie quits because he's he's losing. And then, um, yeah. and then we get what he we get all in for Biden. In fact, I'm influencing Biden. In fact, I'm an important figure in the Biden circle. Right? Is that am I reading that correctly? It was, was kind of like yeah. It was basically like that. He had that hilarious week. Like it was really it was after the Bernie surge started where he's suddenly like, uh, he has this hilarious tweet where he's just like, Bernie wins South Carolina, no question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, even sort of the most optimistic Bernie bros were just kind of like, um, you know, about that state. I never expected him to sweep South Carolina. Briefly, after he won Nevada, very briefly, he was in the 538 model, expected to win South Carolina really? at like like 51% like likelihood I, to win. But remember, the 538 model uses was also using like certain path dependency variables. So the idea is that yeah. the better you do early on, the better you do yeah. later on. And so yeah. it wasn't purely polls based. So, yeah. you know, the idea was I, basically you're going to get a Nevada bump. And like he just did not get a Nevada bump at all in South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. And so he did that. And then almost immediately, like when the uh, when Bernie collapsed, he pivots over to Biden and he starts doing the cabinet stuff once Biden wins. Yeah, like, this, I don't this think what I would say was the first time I saw you really you know yeah <laughs> really well, covering first, it in depth but he my first my first big encounter with him was because i alluded to this earlier was during the campaign data for progress was putting out these scorecards about climate stuff yeah and they ranked they gave basically everyone including biden the same grade on it, I forget what the category's name was, but it was basically on like international investment or something like that. And I was just like, like I tweeted it, data for progress in Macaulay, and I was just like, no, that they're you know the number, the amount of money they're uh, promising is just wildly different. Their plans are wildly different. How are you giving them comparable scores on this? This really. It's hard not to read this as rigging the poll against Bernie because he's blowing everybody out of the water on this. Mm. And Sean's response to this was to um, point to, I think it was like Biden's domestic climate policy and say, well, no, look at what all he's spending here. And he really didn't, he didn't even understand the nature of my objection. Like he didn't understand the distinction between international and domestic spending there it was very that that was that was my first big like public confrontation with him and the uh 
after that, um, yeah, he started doing this cabinet thing where he put out this big, it, it wasn't just him. It was supposedly a big team of data for progress people. Right. But they were going to influence Biden by recommend giving recommendations for every cabinet position. And, yeah. and in some yeah. cases, were there multiple recommendations for each position or was it just one person for each one? No, no, that's what's so funny. He had multiple for each. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's how I remember it as well. So for for yeah. Department of Treasury, he'd have three names, and then for Department of Interior, he'd have three names, and then for FTC, he'd have three, like everything you would think of, he'd ha- they'd had names because they were, you know, uh, uh, staffing his policy or whatever, what is that line that Warren used to say, like... This is how we're going to yeah. influence the administration. We're going to put this out, and we got close ties with the administration, so this is going to be watch us, yeah. watch us operate <laughs> and shape the new progressive Biden administration, and yeah. we're, we're going to keep keep a, keep them accountable and whatever. He's putting out this personnel as policy stuff. Yeah, that's right, personnel uh, as policy, and, and you get options. That's the other funny thing. Is this like, yeah. he's not saying here's the, cool. he's like, just pick from one of these three. So like, in a way you're casting a wide net because if you can just yeah. find the people that you think are likely to be chosen anyways, and you list like three of them, if there's only like really like six in the hat, you got a 50% chance on each one, you know? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, on top of that, I mean, I think you're giving him a little too much credit here because the thing is. He wasn't really, he wasn't at least always picking sensible candidates. Like, it read like one of those, you know how like uh, sometimes uh, Dems would be like, here's the ideal Hillary administration. Hillary is president. Obama as Remember the... you remember the the conservative memes where they would list their cabinet and it would be like uh, Ben Carson as Surgeon General yeah. and like shit like that. Yeah. Those are so good. The Teacot like dream cabinets in which they, it was all the craziest fucking media right wing personalities in every single position. That was a yeah. glorious time on the internet. And it wouldn't and it would never like it would never make sense at all because it'd be like Tucker Carlson for treasury. <laughs> exactly. Like, it would be exactly why, why that. Be treasury? <laughs> like it was it, so it was really like that because he's doing stuff like I, I'm I, I'm working off of memory here, but like I think he was appointing like it, or proposing Ilhan Omar for like uh, some weird State Department position or something. I don't. Maybe I don't, like I don't remember that. the details. All I remember was this: he had a list. He gave yeah. multiple options for each one. They just spent this yeah. long time saying, "I'm close with the Biden administration." Gotten five, six articles yeah. from people saying he's having meetings with them, and then they proceed yeah. to pick just one. And, just what he only he hit one of them out of like. Yeah. 40 or 50 and you were tracking them as they were getting cut down and you also noticed at one point that they after biden had picked someone um that was yeah. not on their list they edited their list to include that person yeah. just so that they, they could that, claim a victory they, they did that twice they did that twice so <laughs> they, this is just straight up con man shit to be like ah yeah Praise to Biden for listening to our counsel. And you're just penciling in what he, he he put in after he ignored everything you asked him to do. 
one of them, like, because I remember one of them, I think, was like Janet Yellen or something. Mm. And I was like, this wasn't like we went back into the uh, archives and looked uh, and it's like, wait, she wasn't in there like a week ago. <laughs> like, they did get the one. And, they did get the one in the Department of Interior. Um, what was her? Yeah. Name? Um, uh, what's her? Let me see. I'll find it real quick. Deb Holland. Deb Holland comes in. They're yeah. mostly just really excited about the fact that she's Native American. So it becomes just kind of yeah. this like Id Paul celebratory fest. The first Native American yeah. Secretary of Interior, she's going to fight to protect our lands using, you know, the Native American ethos of, uh, you know, protection of natural resources and whatever. Of course, she gets in and just rubber stamps every goddamn oil permit anyone puts in the fucking pipeline. <laughs> um, but, I, I forget. I think it was the Sierra Club. There's one one major environmentalist group was actually threatening to sue her at one point because it was just getting so over. Yeah, the and top. I mean, you know, it's like whatever. I'm not even saying she's, but it's like, yeah, of course she's just gonna do whatever Biden wants to do. And we've had like yeah. oil and gas prices high, so she's you know gonna try to increase this, you know. But like that was their yeah. big celebratory thing, despite the fact that that it's fails actually- entirely. They only get one in. And it's not clear at all that like that was because of them. Like if you if you throw enough names out there, one will hit. We still get this like he's an inside influencer for the next few years, right? Um, and he they actually they it, that's on their website now mm-hmm. as like a big a big sort of trademark data for progress win. Yeah, that was the That's one that Jonathan. they spent. That was like their thing. Like we did it. Yeah. We got Deb Holland in. It's like, who cares to probably know you didn't like you, you, you didn't yeah. get any of your other names picked, but whatever. Okay. So we get that done. I would say yeah. at this point, and you correct me if I'm wrong, they start shifting to a, we're like a serious polling outfit. We're going to out, do everyone else in polling and what they recognize is that a lot of the polling polling the polling all keeps missing in the direction of of democrats over and over again every election they keep missing so they're trying to come up with like special new ways of doing things including with text messaging and to basically just try to move the needle more to the right in these polls that's my sense of what they're doing maybe it's more methodologically sophisticated than that but they're looking at different ways to do things to just kind of push the line over because if you know all the existing polling methods are missing to the left and you can find a modification that'll push it to the right then you're probably going to be more on point and they actually were beating a lot of the other pollsters for quite a while but then we have the midterms and they're still doing this and they're basically banking on the idea that yeah all the other pollsters they're missing to the left and we're because ours is to the right of them because we're using slightly different methods we're probably right on top of it and yeah and then and then what happened so well i mean we have around i i think it was actually it didn't come out until after the midterms but um during during this time, uh, while he was doing this, it he was also getting involved with uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Evidently, um, right? We, I I do not think that we know how long this was going on. I actually, uh, unlike a lot of people, I actually don't think that it probably had much to do with Kristen Gillibrand. Um, even though she was definitely one of her politi- one of his politicians 
And even though she was definitely like, she's, she's the first name that comes up as among democratic senators who may have been improperly influenced by him because she was proposing all of that bad crypto legislation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And she had to return her money. Yeah, you're right. But, so, so before the midterms, uh, and, and I feel like we're only learning this now, though. Maybe some people knew it then, but we're I'm seeing the reports now because of what's happened lately. We get a few interesting tidbits, right? So one is Maxwell Frost, who is the Florida Democratic uh, member of Congress, who's like, I'm the first Gen Z member of Congress. Um, yeah. He got 8,700 in contributions from uh, SBF. And nearly a million from Protect Our Future, which is the SBF, uh, you know, PAC or whatever. Um, after announcing a crypto advisory council, McElwee was a member of this council, despite having yeah. no crypto professional anything. So we got that little tidbit. Um, and yeah. then we just get other tidbits. And now we're seeing, um, and this is where things seem to be unraveling. Lot of donations. He's right. He's donating right in line with right in line with Sam Bankman Freed. And there's accusations of straw, of straw donating. So, so explain explain what straw donating is and what we know about what Sean has been involved in in that way. Yeah. So I think I don't know. A, a lot of people are throwing stuff out there, but as far as I can tell, I was I was definitely the first person to make a couple connections here. Um, a lot of people sort of very quickly made the Gillibrand connection, but when I was, you know, as soon as this FE, um, this indictment got unsealed by Bankman Freed, I start reading through it and it, the eighth count, uh, accuses him of, uh, campaign finance, uh, crimes, um, having to do with straw donors where basically he hit the limits of what people are allowed to donate. And so the straw donor scheme is basically you hit your limit. And so you go over to somebody and you say, Hey, uh, can you donate some money and I'll pay you back? I'll get, or, you know, that's sort of the general arrangement. Um, in practice, it can be more complicated. Um, I think there, I think a lot of this stuff is kind of implicit, um, or it's like, for example, they might they might donate to the right org instead of donating directly back to this person. Um, there are a lot of different ways that the arrangement could be made. But basically, the essence of the straw donor scheme is somebody helps you get around campaign finance limits by donating themselves with the understanding that they're going to be compensated for it. And, um, you know, this is like, again, we, we sort of touched on this earlier, but this is what Dinesh D'Souza went to jail for. Um, well, officially. (laughs) Yeah. He went to that. His, his book on that is really funny, but that's, (laughs) it was a political prisoner is what he was. (laughs) You've got to, his book, you've got to read, I just got to, good tangent here you've got to read his book sometime to see his paraphrases of black prisoners talking because he tries to do the aave Mm. and it's just so questionable decision yeah he should not have been doing that and a lot of like sort of 
weirdly fake names and just anyway. Um, so I'm reading that. And one thing that jumped out at me when I'm reading that is that it mentions that he uh, conspired to do this with several known and unknown collaborators. Um, and, you know, like they might have the indictment, I don't think had to mention that. Uh, they could have just said, okay, well, we know that he was doing a straw donor scheme and we're not really worried about the straw donors themselves. But this indictment is clearly saying we know that other people committed a crime here. Um, and so immediately I saw that and I'm watching uh, all, the, all this press around Sean's relationship with SBF that had been coming out, um, you know, some, some really ridiculous stuff. Like at one point he's throwing this big fundraiser party, co-fundraising party with, uh, SBF. Um, I forget. It was like one of those, uh, thousand dollar plate minimum things, but it was sort of a, it was a big roller thing. I'm trying to remember who that was for. Uh, so we got basically, anyway. we got a couple things, right? We got the indictment against Sam Bankman-Fried, which says SBF is doing straw donor schemes with some unnamed person. They don't include who the unnamed person is. Yeah. At the same time, so, we know that there's a connection between Sean and SBF, and we know that Sean has been booted out of Data for Progress. So yeah. you're piecing together, okay, yeah. well, is he the guy? Yeah. Is like, he the one they don't name in the, indi in the indictment? The and the other the other piece, and I remember you and I had talked about this briefly before, was in the original reporting on Sean getting ousted, uh, which was in an article uh, in Puck by Theodore Schleifer, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, in the original reporting, their source internal to Data for Progress said he was fired because of the optics of SBF, his association with SBF, and also with the gambling stuff, which, it, it, like, to me, that didn't really seem like a compelling... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 I covered this on the podcast briefly. It, did, it didn't make sense to say, yeah. oh, well, he, he just, he, he, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried did he, a lot of fraud, and he was a donor to the thing. It's like, well, how, did he know he was doing fraud? It didn't really make sense. That, well, that wasn't enough to fire someone. Now, on the podcast, I speculated, well, people just must not have liked him for some other reason. It seems like instead, yeah. the more likely answer here is, so, oh, no, he was pro perhaps engaged in Ill just illegal activity. Yeah, so what, so what I did um, when I was looking into this is I just figured – I would go into the FEC uh, database and I would look at people who we know that SBS backed and was trying to give money to. So people that he supported. And then I would see who Sean was giving money to. And I would look for an overlap because those would be the most likely candidates for uh, situations where he's using Sean as a straw donor. Mm -hmm. and it there's there's a big overlap there and it comes you know here one one caveat i should add 
is that I can only account for donations Sean made in his name. But if they were going through other like third party vehicles and, you know, stuff like that, then and we know that there is he was pressuring other people and stuff like that. But it's it's just hard to say that this is exhaustive or even representative. But that said, he he gave forty eight thousand dollars to candidates who uh, SBF had also backed. And that is reporting today in Politico says nobody at Data for Progress is making more than 200K. Yeah, we got a report. I would say today, this is the reason why I actually had you on. The biggest report, the most kind of damning report today in Politico. um, Yeah. Because I should take a step back. Yesterday, New York Mag put out a piece in which they said that, you know, there was an allegation that McElwee was pressuring some of his employees to be straw donors. He denies this. Okay, fine. We don't get anything beyond that. But then in Politico today, we get a name. One employee, Ethan Winter, who is uh, Data for Progress lead analyst, made nearly 31,000 in donations, uh, which a source said was more than a quarter of his salary. Unlikely that Ethan Winter was donating a quarter of his salary. And remember, that's a quarter of his gross salary, the net salary after tax. I mean, who, like, the idea that he's donating that much money. To candidates, yeah. uh, this is a young man. <laughs> I've seen him before on Twitter. <laughs> it seems uh, it seems unlikely, and he also recently resigned. Um, yeah. So, and this is also, and this is also. I mean, it would have been near a quarter of Sean's salary if he's making less than two hundred k. So, this is just a a really like remarkable. <laughs> number to be coming right out of his pocket out of the goodness of his heart um and so uh, you know that was that was one piece and i wasn't the only one who noticed that i should add uh will stancil another Mm. twitter personality noticed that as well um but the other thing i noticed that really caught my attention was that if weaver news reported that sbf did donate to data for progress back in June and the sum was $48,000 mm-hmm. which is the same that it, it I mean roughly the same that what Sean is doing so again it's I do not understand why they would use data for progress as a pass through that's either there's either something that I don't get here or they're just much dumber than I than I'm giving them credit for. Yeah, I think there must be something else happening because one, you don't have they don't have to report any of these donations. So we don't know how much he gave for data. I don't know where if it's over two hundred you do. Is it if okay? It's, if it's over Well yeah, so it could be anywhere from forty eight to two hundred or, you know, like someone yeah. someone told someone that it was forty eight and we don't know if the where that came from, uh, if it was Sam oh, himself. Yeah. No, I think that so I think that the reason you would you would donate in your own name uh and put it in the FEC is so that SBF can verify that you made the donation. You can come back to him. And say yeah, see. Well, I mean, how here, much here, SBF? Here. I mean, how much SBF gave data for progress? Oh, that would yeah, not yeah, be yeah. Uh, like yeah, we don't. neither five hundred one c threes nor five hundred one c fours have to report. Um, right. You know, every little donation they get. Um, 
or any donations for the C4s as far as I remember. Um, But you're right, still, it doesn't make sense for someone to... I would bet that there are bank-to-bank... If if this is happening, SBF is just putting money directly into Sean's personal account and putting money directly into Ethan's personal account. That that would be the way you would want to do this. That would make sense, you know? But, you know... I don't know. That's true. That's just what would make sense. Crypto stuff. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're just giving them bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny. Sean goes to jail with like two hundred Dodge coins. In yeah, the yeah. Box. He gets a yeah. He gets some Ethereum, and then he has to donate dollars, and then the Ethereum's worth half what it what he donated, and he's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, any, anyway, I mean. It's it's a very weird coincidence to me, and I think that like between uh, the those numbers, just just the fact that it's a disproportionate percentage of what they would have been making, I think the donation match with the with the uh, with what SPF gave is suspicious. There's been uh, multiple you know multiple reported accusations now that Sean was pressuring employees to yeah. do this, uh, to participate in the straw donor. It's hard scheme. to otherwise explain what's going on with Ethan. And then you combine that with the yeah. accusations, you combine that with the resignation, you combine that with the SBF indictment, which says he was engaged in straw donating with an unnamed party. It does yeah. not, I mean, I don't know. I'd be interested to see the story that ties it all together without resulting in the conclusion that he, he was engaged in this. So, I, I would say that's where we are. What it will, yeah. we got to see where what Sean's next great movement is, um, and might it involve he prison? Up. I mean, there, you know, in in uh, the Politico ar- article, and actually in I think uh, the previous article, New Yorker or New York Mag, uh, he's been asked for a comment twice now, I believe, and in both times, the his lawyer has said Sean's innocent, no comment. Yeah. Um, Usually so, not how he engages with the press. I, that's notable as well. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would guess, I mean, my, my personal guess is I would be really surprised if we did not see some kind of uh, FEC or even DOJ investigation opened up I mean, there's probably already one opened up already, and we just don't know. Yeah, about yeah it. almost certainly about Sean. But you know, something. Uh, I would be really surprised if something does not go public eventually. It probably, you know, maybe it's not a front burner issue with them because it's. I mean, what's the other funny thing is here? Is these aren't like massive sums. Um, you know, like he's not he's not funneling like hundreds of thousands right but the nashes weren't massive either and they put him in prison for like a year granted i think he got to serve it on like weekends or something like that but like yeah um yeah you know it'll uh it'll be interesting to watch yeah yeah i think i i i guess we'll see i mean the the questions here for me or are uh, will the FEC indict him? Will the DOJ come, or will the FEC slap him on the wrist? Because the FEC can't really do anything. Um, will the DOJ indict him? Because that would be a big deal. 
And I think the third thing for me, which I mentioned in a little piece I wrote yesterday, um, was will data for progress file an FEC complaint? Um, because my view is that if they have incriminating information about Sean, which it sounds like they do, and you know, it sounds like that's their reason for firing him. Um, if that's the case, then they really ought to be reporting that to the FEC. Yeah, they, um, do, they, they should clean their hands and say, look, we're a new organization. That's happened before, and we're going to cooperate in every way we can to make sure that you know we have a clean break from, from all this stuff, and we're going to try to yeah. make a go of it with, with a new leader and, and wipe our hands from yeah. all this. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the, the ridiculous thing about this is, um, you know, some of, like you said, like data for progress does some decent polling work. Um, like there, some of their polls end up being pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. not yeah. In the, yeah. In the 2020, in 2020, they, yeah. they were one of the most accurate pollsters in 2022. Not so much, but yeah. They, I mean, and you know, that, that, that's the other question people are asking if he was messing around with the polls in order to match his gambling stuff. But I don't think that's very likely. I think it's what you said. They were just sort of randomly tweaking and then they got caught off guard by the unexpected performance of Democrats. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's, yeah. we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, a, yeah. We got 70 minutes on Sean, gripping 70 minutes. We'll see how many people <laughs> – I'll check the stats to see how many people hang in there. But some people are very interested in this, and it's all over the Internet. So I think it's worth having a full rundown because otherwise you got to pour through all these articles, and not everyone wants and they to aren't do that. Giving, and they aren't giving the full story. No, they they're not getting any context in any of these pieces. and or, or, or when they do try to give context, it's a lot of bullshit in which media is just regurgitating its own. The, own, the, yeah. the way it has been conned over the years, they, they're trying to memorialize that as context in these pieces as if it is true. <laughs> and not reevaluating, well, wait a minute, all that stuff may have also <laughs> been false. It's actually, it's really unfair to the left because what they're doing is for years they've tried to shove him down the left's throat as yeah. like our thought leader in the face of like widespread, no, why are you doing this? Like constantly. And now that he's been caught in foul play, their angle is, well, follow no. the, the left. I the left's king. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. That's what caused so much tension on this was his ability yeah. to get the press to present him as a major figurehead on the left, even though every other significant left kind of entity, whether you want to talk about culturally, politically, activist, whatever, had no yeah. association and kind of actively loathed the guy. And it, so it's like, it's you guys are thrusting this dude on us and we don't even like him. And then now yeah. in the in the aftermath, it, <laughs> they're still <laughs> continuing and being like, ah, the left the left lost one of its great leaders today. It's like you were the one who said they were our leader. <laughs> it's so infuriating. Like it's really really annoying. The more I think about it, I'm just like, this is so unfair. It also goes to the con element of it, though, because like, yeah. I don't. 
and I don't have the uh, the con man uh, instincts enough to go out there and tell all the press yeah. that like I'm the leader of the left, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of like yeah. I've got a think tank, and some electeds pay attention to it, and I get on like so. It's like it's significant in that way, but also you know, guess what? A lot of people on the left not too fond of me. That's how it goes. So you know. yeah, yeah. Well, and. You know, like Politico mentioned, I, I think it was Politico that mentioned today. Um, he has, like, he had a dedicated Slack channel for journalists that yeah. he was just, and we knew, like, you know, the guy, somebody asked me today, actually, what exactly was it that Sean did? And, and what I said, as far as I know, he was just spending all of his time, like, glad handing journalists yeah. and politicians um, and donors, potential donors. Yeah. And, that was the game all right well if you want to keep up with this and uh, see we got more content coming we got carl bayer is that right yep all right that's right i got it right this time carlbayer.com that's b-e-i-j-e-r i I would recommend subscribing and you can follow him at carl bayer on twitter have a, a a happy holiday or merry christmas whichever you celebrate and uh you know Keep on keeping on. I'm 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 excited to see where it goes. Yep. Take her easy, everyone.